Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would, get your Bibles open up with the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. What do you think the one thing, <clears throat> what do you think, if there was one thing I could say that we as human beings were best at, what would you think that that would be? And I actually spent a lot of time thinking about this, to be honest with you. I actually tried to think of something that's bigger than what's rolling around in my head right now. We are the best complainers on the planet. I mean, but even when you're reading the Old Testament stories, you know, when God was providing manna to the people of Israel. And enough bread fell to the ground to fill them. And they were instructed, don't pick up any more than you can eat. But go ahead and take what you can eat. So they were fine with that for a little while until they decided that they were protein deficient. They needed meat. Right? They complained. God give them meat. Oh yeah, he gave them meat. Is this what you want? What I give you is not good enough? All throughout my life in ministry, I can tell you that the one thing that float, rises to the surface that is the thing that you deal with most as a pastor is what? Complaints. Complaints. Now, the thing is, some of those complaints are valid. Amen? Some of those complaints are not. Amen? Why does it always seem that the emotion behind a complaint is a petition for support in their position? Did you catch that? When a person complains, the natural effect is that they're going to find people who will support their position. Okay? Now, I don't think that I don't think I think that some people do, but I think on the on a large scale individuals don't run around making deals with people on how to cause problems. I have seen it in my lifetime, but it is not something that happens very often. Most people actually walk into circumstances and complain without even considering the consequences of that action. Anytime that you get a complainer, you will add at least one complainer. And if you get that to a room full of people complaining, there's enough energy behind enough people complaining to cause catastrophic damage to a church catastrophic damage to a ministry even something like Bates Creek and believe me if there's a place that you might encounter conflict more than anywhere else it's actually when you shove multiple churches onto one piece of property together that's why I said a while ago if I can I'll put them in their own space if they want to combine themselves in a space with someone else that's up to them because at that point if there's a problem I can say I didn't set that deal up <laughs> I set this deal up you chose to set your own deal up 
But if people, if staff complains, what's it lead to? What happens to what happens to a person's compassion when they get irritated? Yeah, no compassion there when people are irritated. And the truth is, I could irritate you. I could irritate you right now. I'm not going to, but I could. Why would I not? What's the purpose? What does that accomplish? Does it help get things done or does it slow things down? So this is just a little bit broader umbrella to the things that I've been preaching the last few weeks. Okay, The things like <clears throat> us having the ability to be able to think about what we say and what we do before we do it. Understanding what those consequences are. Discernment. To be discerning. And discernment in this application is exactly the same. Because if you get one person who feels like that they've been done wrong in any way and they happen to meet up with that one person who's complaining, guess what you got now? It's no good. Is it less fun when you don't get to get your dig in? Yes. It is. It also is less painful because you don't have the consequences of when the Holy Spirit comes on you and says, hey, you really shouldn't have done that, of having to backtrack, say, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, the whole ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure thing. This particular passage of Scripture, I'm going to read through a chunk of it first because I want us to get the concept of, of why he started where he started in chapter 2, verse 1, and then how he switches gears, but they are still linked to each other by these paragraphs. So in Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 1, he says, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if there is any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So here's, here's where focus comes from, from a church or an organization that's made up of people who are Christians that gives us a, a structure, not a formula, but a structure about how it is that we continue to... Um, fulfill God's call in whatever ministry it is that God's invested in. In other words, Vacation Bible School. How much money do we have set aside for Vacation Bible School? Does anybody know? $1,000, right? It's quite a bit of money, right? I mean, that's 1% of our overall budget and probably more percent, more than 1% right now. That's a pretty big chunk of money, right? What do we expect in return? zero financial return right but i know that everybody who signs up to work at vacation bible school we're all on the same page right we know why those kids are coming here and we know what it is those kids need right and every one of us who make up a different gear uh, a different cog in this machine we all stay unified about the same thing and it's kind of an amazing thing everybody does their specific part to accomplish the outcome that we set out to accomplish that's the way that it's supposed to work. And this happens for churches who actually get this structure complete. Being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit. Being of the same mind. If, if we as individuals have the ability to be able to say, hey, I mean, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to tell Rosie how to teach her class. Why would I do that? That's a calling God put on her. He's the one who equipped her to do it. Why would I tell her to teach it like me? 
If we're unified, she wants the same thing out of the class as I do. And any other teacher or anybody who works in the kitchen or works anywhere else is the same thing. Right? So you know what? She might teach like me. Is that okay? Not only is it okay, but it's absolutely necessary. Because if I could teach like Rosie, guess where I wouldn't be? I wouldn't be here. I'd be in a Sunday school class teaching kids. Because the truth is, I don't have a gift for teaching. I don't. Can I do it? Yes. Know a lot of stuff about the Bible. But my gift is not teaching. It's preaching. It's pastoring. My gift is loving people. As long as I don't get too, too scatterbrained, I have a natural affection for loving people. There is no doubt about that. I've not missed that at any point in my life. I don't want to be a preacher who's an admin, admin who sits in an office all day and works out schedules and when people go to the hospital, I want to go see them. When people are hurting, I want to go to their house and visit them. When people need me, I want to be available to them. Loving people, that's what he's got me here for. So I'm going to love people from the pastoral side. And we're going to have Sunday school teachers who are going to love kids and adults. And we're going to have adults who are loving people who come and get a cookie from the kitchen. And we're going to love babies who go to the nursery. We're just going to love them. And we're going to make sure that when people fill those slots, that they're individuals who are called into those slots. Because when those individuals are called into those slots, that means that they're actually being called under the guise of God. And he's not going to allow them to take that position without them being aware of that structure. Because it's necessary. Intent on one purpose. To make money? Nope. To see the lost come to know Jesus Christ. To see the kids who live in this fallen world and experience the same things that we do every day. To give those kids who may have already given their life to Christ the opportunity to be able to see who he really is. That he's not what everybody has told them. To provide an opportunity for people out there to find out that the world has lied to them comes at very specific structure. Because the truth is, we will not find a way to get a kid to Bates Creek Camp if we don't care. One purpose. Not five, not ten. One of my struggles as a pastor... And this was something I see in the association, too. It's something that's natural. Highland doesn't have this problem anymore, but it did have this problem once before. The youth group and the church were both separate inst separate institutions, basically. The two groups never mixed. Adults never really even seen the teenagers. They had their own worship services. They had their own schedules. They had their own everything. Adults didn't know who the teenagers were. And this happens a lot. Two churches form. Budget time. Sit down and look at the money. Youth guy, what does he want for money? Let me ask you this question. I'm not talking about Matt. I want to be very clear there. I'm not talking about Matt. Youth guys, though, and, and, and I can appreciate this, and I'll explain, okay? Youth guys, who do, who do they think should uh, have the uh, largest budget line item in the church? Youth, right? Music. What does a music person think? The highest funded budget should be in the church children's ministry what do you think children's ministers have been called into children's ministry where do you think that that belongs on the realm of priorities but if i look at all of them equally what's it to me 
how do we get to be intent on one purpose if we aren't unified in the spirit? If we also have no idea in the direction on what it is to be of the same mind. To be of the same mind is to, is to say, I told everybody this last week, kids drive me nuts. I love kids, but they drive me nuts. Now, all these staff are staying around like, honestly, me, I can't wait till next week. And they look at me and they go, what? And I'm like, yeah, next week's my jam. And they're like, what are you talking about? They're teenagers. And I'm like, yeah, send the kids home, bring the teenagers. (laughs) But it makes sense because where did my calling start? Started with youth. And when the Lord made me, when he demoted me to a senior pastor, yeah, I said that. It's funny. Laugh. Come on. It's funny. When he demoted me to a senior pastor, one of those things that I actually was arguing with him was, was you called me to be a youth pastor. I've been a youth pastor for 12 years. You, no, no, no moving the goalpost. I'm a youth pastor. And you know what he said to me? He had the gall. You know what he said to me? Can you affect youth more positively as a youth pastor or a senior pastor? But I don't get to do all the fun youth stuff all the time anymore. Truth is, I'm too old for that stuff anyway. (laughs) But you see what the intent on one purpose, the like-mindedness these things create when it comes to a church atmosphere. You better believe youth is important. You better believe children's ministry is important. You better believe that women's ministry is important. You better believe that men's ministry is important. You better believe that if we do it in this church, that it's important because it's something that God gave us a mandate for. But if we're going to do it, even if we're people who aren't involved in those ministries, we still are people who support those ministries because we do have a budget line item for our youth. And me and Alan, we, we squeeze as hard as we can to try to keep from cutting their budget every year. We're cutting budget line items. That's one we're doing our best to leave alone. We know how important it is. Well, we did after we raised it. Now it's back down to where it originally started. We haven't gone below, and I don't want to go below, below where we originally started. Uh, but we haven't cut it, I mean, below where we had originally started with our budget. How do these kids get to do these activities? How do they get to go to Winter Jam and only cost them 5 bucks or 10 bucks? How do they get to go uh, to the church and have uh, youth lock-in and eat all of their snacks and all the stuff? How do they get to do that? We budget it. We budget it out of where? With a money tree in the backyard? No, you faithfully give the church budgets budgets to those line items. Now, the truth is, if you think youth ministry is important, then you're going to know, not just give your money blindly and say, oh, here's my money, go do what you will. You're going to know that there's a percentage of that money that's going to go towards supporting your youth ministry. Like-mindedness? Yes, you don't have to pick up a game. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to teach them. You don't have to stay overnight with them. You don't have to do anything with them, and you can still support them in like-mindedness just by being aware that your faithfulness and your actions will always produce God with godly results. Always. So we're going to go into the danger in a minute. Of course, we kind of started with the danger, so keep reading uh, with me, starting with verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. 
So here's, here's an example that I can give you that's a fairly recent example. And, and the reason it's fairly recent is because it's camp, and, and camp will just give me all kinds of examples. If somebody comes to me with a complaint, okay, here's one for instance. We have got no brooms inside this tabernacle. There's no brooms in the mess hall. There's no brooms in the camp-owned cabins. I have a choice to make. Right? Either I can disarm the situation, find a solution to the problem, or I can wind it up further. Right? As long as I catch this ahead of time, those are my choices and I get to make it, right? So before engaging someone into in, in this conversation that I'm about to have with them who are complaining, either I'm going to be gasoline on the fire or I'm going to be someone who's going to be able to solve the problem without smearing any mud on any person that they're complaining about. Right? This year when one of our churches had a registration snafu. We had already had our electronic forms. They created their electronic forms, but on their electronic forms, their students were allowed to pay for camp. Okay, but these two forms were not linked together. So we had a whole bunch of students who had paid for camp but had not registered yet. So they paid Festus but did not register. Where did they pass the late fee? What do we do? Rules are rules, right? This lady was a mess on the phone. I don't even know what to do. I can't straighten this stuff out. I said, hold on. We'll fix it. We'll fix it. Okay, but I just don't know what to do. Send me the names and the, and the phone numbers of all of the students who paid Festus, and we'll sort it out and make sure that everybody's in the right place. Well, I know, but we just messed the whole thing up. You guys are starting something new that's improving something. We're starting something new that's improving something. This is a lesson learned. If we learn this lesson, guess what we're not going to have the conflict with next year? What's the effect on her? Her workday's not over, right? Because somebody just told her, you made a mistake and it's okay. As long as we're learning from them. If she could have come and done that, I could have just jumped right on the bandwagon, right? What would that have caused? Completely opposite effect. <clears throat> Somebody told me not too long ago that I was going to get railroaded in a meeting. Yeah, it happens. I actually went to uh, one of the, the heads, the chairman of that committee, and I said, look, I've been a pastor in this association for 21 years. I've been the administrator at Bay Street Camp for about 23 out of the last 25. I have sat on the Bay Street Camp board for 25. I'm not going to sit in a meeting and have someone treat me like that. And I was mad. I was fuming. And then that passage of scripture from last week. Remember when Jesus had to go find a place to get alone? I needed to find a place to get alone. Because I already knew that this blew up 
Meeting's over. What good does that accomplish? Are we going to accomplish anything if we shut the meeting down? So rather than go in in defensive mode, we go in creating the narrative myself. The guy opens up the meeting, asks the question, we got to discuss old business. Okay, let me discuss some of those items. Each one of the things somebody was going to complain to me about, I got to address, and guess what it did to the fire? Put it out. I got to tell you, this has been this was the best camp board meeting that I've been to in 12 or 15 years. The productivity in this camp board meeting was insane. I didn't even connect that experience to this sermon until this morning. Do you get it? How many choices could I have made differently that could have, that would have encouraged a different result? You see, when we feel that we have ownership, we take everything personally. But anything having to do with Jesus, who owns it? God owns it. Amen? He's not asked us to perform those functions perfectly. He's quite aware of, even in our strongest strengths, where our smallest weaknesses are. He doesn't expect us to be people that are perfect, but he does expect us to be people who are productive for the most part. I mean, we all know, you probably did something this last week that you could admit right off the bat wasn't very productive. And we all have the ability to turn our attention to those things and be able to ask ourselves reasonably, why is it that this is so important to me? And if it's important to me because it's important to Jesus, then everything included in that situation is also important to Jesus. What would you do if somebody walked in here and said, pick one and shoot him? Truthfully, I'd shoot myself first. Would you? Because we should be willing to. No greater love has anyone than this. That a man lay his life down for his friends. We have the ability to make somebody's day just through the attitude we carry. We have the ability to encourage people and provide encouragement and strengthening to individuals. But we have to be individuals who have to realize that we don't own this. We've been called alongside to help him do what he is doing. But in the church today across the globe, this isn't the way that it's going. Matter of fact, many churches are working against him. And Satan's becoming much more crafty about the way that he's manipulating people. Most complainers, did you know most complainers don't even know they're a complainer? It's the truth. One of the most eye-opening things that I've ever seen in my life in the last 25 years of ministry overall. The one thing that shocks me 
is that people who are really critical towards other people have no idea that they're doing it. Who knows what critical thinking is? You know what critical thinking is? Can you draw a conclusion? Without anybody else's input? I encourage people all the time, study your Bibles. Please don't start with a lexicon. Please don't start with a MacArthur study Bible reading all of the extra footnotes. Please don't. You know why? Your teacher's not John MacArthur. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with listening to John MacArthur. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with owning a MacArthur study Bible. Please hear what I'm saying. Your relationship with Christ is linked directly through through the crucifixion. It's not linked through Bible type. It's not linked through anything but Christ. So all of this stuff in the world that goes on around us, if the only thing in our world really is us and Jesus, and then everything else is revolving around us, including spouses, family, jobs, responsibilities, gifts that God's given us to be employed in the church, the time management, the organization, the administration, all of these things that families do on a regular basis. The instant that a person becomes selfish, what happens? Do you guys ever have anybody get onto you for dirtying a dish when you're the dishwasher? I'll, I'll give you a hint, though. That's a that's a control issue. <laughs> that's that's a selfish control issue. When the person who washes the dishes can't dirty a bowl without the person who doesn't wash the dishes telling them that they didn't need to dirty a bowl. The interests of others. Truth is, I like to wash dishes. Well, kind of. It actually has more to do with the fact that I know if I wash them, they're clean. Anybody else? <laughs> because I have OCD, okay? No secrets. And if I get a, a plate that's even got so much as a fingerprint on it, it's going back in the sink anyway. Ownership. Jesus owns it. He owns the church. He owns you. He owns me. He's He, he paid for us for a price. Now he's going to get into giving us a little bit of an example here of who Jesus has actually been. Verse 5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those who are in heaven and on on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the end of this paragraph, and I'll spend just a little bit of time saying this. 
if we was to use Jesus Christ as an example, which is why I believe wholeheartedly that we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is because we actually have real-life experience of the walking, breathing Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity who walked upon this earth as a man. Jesus Christ... Could he have stopped it? Yes. Could he have changed the rules? Yes. In order for Jesus to accomplish what the Father had called him to in his life, what did it cost Jesus? His life. The very lifeblood of his body was what it cost. This is the second person of the Trinity. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what was his price? If Jesus Christ had a selfish bone in his body, if he had a selfish cell on his body, do you really think that he could have did what he did? There is only one way, I guarantee you. And that was his ability to be able to see what the positive impact would be by him actually doing it. Did they complain? Oh, man, more in history did they complain. Pilate didn't want to deal with him. Send him to Herod. Herod was afraid to deal with him because there were a lot of Jews who believed in him. Send him back to Pilate. And they volley him back and forth to the point that Pilate goes, okay, I'll do what you want, but I'm washing my hands of it. And what does Jesus do? He lashed out one time. One time he said something. And it was when Pilate said, tell me plainly. Who are you? And Jesus lashed out at him. You can strike me. Matter of fact, you can only do what the Father will let you do. I'll be in my kingdom soon. Did he hold Pilate down and get him to concede? Try to talk him into becoming a disciple? Even though people would say he lashed out, he still took it. We talked about the cat of nine tails that they whipped guys with back then. We don't mention much. They usually strapped them to a pole or a log while they did it. Face down. How many times could they whip him legally without breaking the law? 39. I've asked you guys to do that before. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go home, and I want you to get your piece of rope about five feet long. And I want you to walk up to a tree, and I want you to hit that tree with it 39 times. I want you to grasp the concept of how long it took to whip Jesus 39 times. And I also want you to grasp the concept with just a rope, the damage you'll do on that tree. 
just hitting it 39 times. At any point, could he have stopped it? The mockery, the mashing of the crowns on the head, the purple robe placed on his back, the reed placed in his hand that they used to drive the thorns down on his head, could he have stopped it? They spat on him. They pulled his beard from his face. They slapped him. Could he have stopped it? But he didn't. And what reason could a man have for accepting such punishment on his self? The answer to that question is just desiring to see the will of God in other people's lives. You know, that little boy up there taught me a lesson a few weeks ago. Camp's teaching me lessons just like it always has. Because of Jesus' sacrifice? How well is he known? Can anybody mention another man that has ever lived in the history of mankind that is a name that is more heard than the name of Jesus Christ? And in all of history, over 2,000 years, what's he known for? And had he not been that man who took that beating, had he not been that man who took those nails, who took that mockery, if he had not been that man, and anywhere along the way he had stopped, what would the world be saying about Jesus Christ today? You see, we have the ability to see the benefits and the consequences to everything. And we get ourselves to the point that we weed out the selfish desires of our human heart and we just quite simply want to see nothing more than Jesus to work in the lives of people. Problems can be overcome. Adjustments can be made. I have never seen a situation at Bates Creek Camp that I can't handle. I've not seen a situation at the church that I can't handle with all that God's given me with people in here that have the ability to do it. I want to go a little further before we close. Look at verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may have cause to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. I hope you caught that in there. I believe that if we could see the spirit realm, that all day long we would walk through phases of light and darkness. Of course, Darkness is around the things that are evil, and light is around the things that are good. And I could imagine that 
even walking past people, you would see you would see phases of darkness and phases of light. If you was to watch yourself over the last week, what'd you carry with you? Because, I mean, in the world we live in today, there's a lot of people who walk around, they aren't giving off any extra light, but they also aren't casting shadow. But then there are people out there who aren't providing light, but they are the shadow only. And then there are people out there who carry the light and not the shadow. And the question is, do you realize when what you're carrying into a group or an individual, do you realize that that person is affected by that? You all know what I'm talking about. How many of you guys have ever been so mad at somebody that in the moment you didn't care whether God could justify your anger or not? We've all been there. We are those human beings. I mean, that's who we are. It's the result of holding fast to the word of life that actually give us the ability to be the people who don't react that way to people. The ones who have the ability to get out of bed in the morning, our feet hit the floor and we say, I'm carrying the light into every dark corner of my day. And guess what somebody who's carrying a light can't do? Complain. Because the instant that a person carrying light complains, guess what it turns into? It turns into darkness. As a shadow. And as we walk through our day, we are depositing one or the other. We get caught up in the things the devil's going to use to try to prevent God's will. We're carrying shadows. But we see ourselves being attended to by the Holy Spirit and by God himself and a path laid out in front of us and he's given us everything that we need to accomplish the task. Is it going to hurt? Probably. Some way, shape, or form, it's going to hurt. But what's the point? To not hurt? Or to see lost people saved? Is the point not to hurt? Or is to see people who are saved out there to actually come to know who he is more. Because the truth is, in the culture we live in today, you know what I believe that the drive has been? It's not to hurt. Because the instant you step into ministry, I promise you, you're going to hurt. You're going to hear the complainers. You're going to take things personally. You're going to have people who say things to you that's just mean. You're going to have people who hold things against you that you don't even know about. You're going to have people say things to other people about you. You have no idea that they feel the way that they feel about you. And you talk about frustrating. Just make you want to go in and rack your head off a cement block wall. I had a guy one time, seriously. It was like five years he wasn't talking to me. I thought it was over something that happened previously. And, and I finally sit down with a guy and go, look, this has been going on way too long. What is the matter? You never said thank you. For what? I plowed the parking lot five years ago. You never said thank you. So you've been walking, you've been moping around this church for five years because I forgot to say thank you? Holy cow, thank you. Knock it off. <laughs> Can we not be that sensitive? 
I hope you believe me when I tell you there is no way under the sun I would intentionally hurt any one of you. Absolutely no way. And I believe wholeheartedly that there's not one of you in this place who would intentionally hurt me either. So why would I walk around and act like one of you have or did or will? Because I know for a fact that if you hurt me, you didn't do it on purpose. As far as I know, I mean, unless you really hate me and want to see something, I would think that I would know what I did to you, right? We want everybody else to benefit from this. We want everybody to benefit from the corporate worship of the church. We want to see the lost benefit by finding life. We want to see the saved benefit by them figuring out more about how to, how do you grasp the power of God? The answer to that question is just a little at a time. A little at a time. Why did he say work out your salvation in fear and trembling? It's just the realization that everything you say and everything you do to the people around you, the way you act, the way you carry yourself, the way we do everything, has an effect it has an effect all those things that to me are hillbilly logic when you get to the end of these things you actually get to see the result back before I had my own Dodge truck I wanted a Dodge truck Kenny had a Dodge truck was blue two out of three why does Kenny get a truck I don't get a truck selfish truth is if we love each other I'm going to be happy for Kenny because he got a truck I might ask him for the key sometimes it snows a lot but I'm going to be happy for Kenny because he's got a truck. Somebody gets some windfall because an aunt or uncle somewhere down the bloodline passed away. Oh, what could I do with that money? Right? Can we be happy for him? Understanding that there was also a cost to that benefit? Separation of a loved one? You see, this is really about me wanting genuinely what God wants is best for you and you wanting genuinely what God wants best for me. So we encourage each other. And when we find each other being in those frustrating situations where we're starting to complain, knowing that we're humans and we will, we need that friend of ours to come over and say, what can we do to fix it? Not jump on the bandwagon and complain too, but to find a solution, calm fears, find solutions to the problems. I can't make this church function or anything else by myself. I can't do it. And there's nobody in this church who can do that either. But one thing that's happened over 21 years that I, that I would love to see stop happening 
is the back door of the church opening because you let somebody in the front door of the church, they come in the church within a week or two, somebody says something that's offensive to them or gossips about somebody in the church or does something that's off the wall and then that person who's just been there for two or three weeks goes right out the back door. And I believe wholeheartedly everybody's at the church now. Nobody would do that on purpose. Imagine how effective we could be if we were abs- if we were actually intentional about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Imagine how much we could do if we actually did things on purpose. Because I can tell you, over the 21 years, God gets the glory for it, and the reason that God gets glory for it is because he's the one that did it. How much credit do we deserve over all the people we baptized in 21 years? None. And I can tell you, I went out and visited houses and things. We've had more people who just dropped in because they seen it on Facebook or just dropped in because they seen it on the Internet or dropped in... We've had more people come to this church because God brought them here than we have people that we've been able to go out and advertise and reach. Should it be that way? I mean, should we have more accidental members in a year than we do intentional ones? No. The accidental ones should be the small percentage. Most of them should be intentional. It should be from outreaches. It should be from the way we carry ourselves. Let's take advantage of the opportunities. And I'm learning to recognize those opportunities a little better because anytime Satan hates one of them, he just cuts the cord and makes the whole thing. I'm not quitting. It's like getting a booth up there for this Jefferson County Fair. I'm still going to see if I can pull it off that nobody ever got back to me. No, I'm not complaining about them because truth is they're pretty good about that, right? Well, if they're pretty good about that and I didn't get it, I returned email you guess who's messing with me? You think it's whoever's sending the emails over there? You think it's who's messing with me? I know better than that. My wife says, you can't do that to everything. I do, because I'm sitting there going, I'm looking for the Lord. Next thing I got to do is glorifying him, and there we go. Car gets in front of me, putt-putting. I'm hoping it's never one of, one of you one of these days, because I always go, that's Satan driving that car. <laughs> Because the truth is he will. He'll take advantage to widen the crack, any crack that he can find. He'll take advantage to manipulate circumstances, to twist people up, and, and to twist people up together is better. Because, you, man, you twist people up together, you can do some damage. What do we want to see as a church? What do we want to see as individuals? I mean, it should be what God wants. We both have the ability to support each other in doing this. Now, I'm not picking on you. I want you to hear me. That means bringing your kids on Sunday nights. That's what it means. Not because not because Highland has the best children's program ever. I mean, actually, I think we do. We have the potential of having the, one of the largest and the, and the best ever. But why? All of this is connected, folks. Every bit of it. going to camp tonight you know who else is going to be at camp tonight for the first time about what seven eight years huh well yeah you're going tomorrow my whole family's going to be at camp I don't know if you realize what that means to me but my whole family was born at camp pretty much 
Caitlin was already born, but she was very little. Madeline went down as a newborn, and Jacqueline went down as a newborn, and Zachary went down as a newborn. And the other day, I almost got choked up just sitting there thinking about it. Because you know who was there last week? Jameson. You know who's going this week? Jameson. You know who else? Grayson. A one-year-old, next-generation Bay Street camper. And you look back and you wonder, especially when you're a Southern Baptist pastor who had never been to any types of schooling at the time, and you were still trying to figure out how it all was supposed to fit together, and then you find yourself 30 years down the road, and you turn around and you look behind you, and you say, wow, look what God did. And how did he do it? I want some of you sometime to come to Bates Creek with me. Even if it's just for one night, two days. I want you to come. Because the truth is, I can't explain it to you. It's impossible. Oh, you're going to find out. Just wait till she comes home. Oh, yeah, you're going to find out. Wait till she comes home. I know there's some anxieties with some teenagers who've never been down there before. I know that there are some just uneasiness. And, but I'm here to tell you, 121 acres, 200,000-gallon uh, 200, swimming pool, sand volleyball court, basketball court, gaga pit, nine square, creek full of crawdads. If you'd like to eat a crawdad tail, we will cook them for you. Food orders. Miles driven. Hours applied. For what? When I came home Thursday, 17 new names had been added to the kingdom. One would be worth it. Amen? You know what I can't wait for? Yes. To come with his frustrations, his aggravations. Does it hurt? Do you get a little sleep? And when your mind begins to slip, and you find yourself teetering in that spot where you've always known why it was that you did what you did, but you're so busy that you're in danger of forgetting and to go accomplish another mundane task to be shook to my core by 185 little girls and boys singing about the grace and the love of Jesus Jesus said that's why I did it and that's why I want you to do it <clears throat> get no credit for the salvations that have happened in the past 
But in all the over 20 years of Bates Creek Camp, over 2,000 students come to know Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. Randy lived through some of the pain. There you go. The amount of good that we can do. If we just separate ourselves from the us. Put yourself in a position of knowing that you're about to get some scrapes and dings. But you're also about to see the walls of hell's of hell shaken. You're about to see Satan have that once in a while terrified look on his face. Because there are a whole bunch of little kids that are down there. There are people in this church on Sunday. There are kids in Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. There are kids in youth classes on Sunday mornings. There are kids everywhere. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. We have the ability to be able to push the purpose and the plan of God out so that individuals who hear it have the ability to apply it and turn around and push it out themselves. But folks, the fact is, it's not going to change a whole lot if we don't take advantage of the opportunities that the Lord's given us. Because I promise you something, and I know there's not very many, there's some recordings on here, so I expect a lot of people to hear me say this. If you are a parent, and you have young children, and you are a Christian, and you do not have them in church, every opportunity that you have, the day will come where you will regret it. I've been at this long enough to know you will regret it. I've seen the other side. I've seen students go through this. I've watched kids grow up in the culture that's around them. And the kids who go to church, those are the kids who are more grounded and stable than the kids who aren't. The kids who go to church are the ones that are harder to convince that a boy's actually a girl and a girl's actually a boy. The ones who are grounded in Christ are the ones that are harder to convince that as long as you love somebody, anybody's okay. They're grounded enough not to be shook by those things. And if we think that those are the big topics, here's what frightens me, folks. The things we're seeing today, hearing today, that are developing today, what's it going to be like when your kids and my grandkids are 20? If I knew that the day was coming that my kid was going to be required to lift a standard weight, is this smart for me to just go, i got plenty of time? Or do you start as young as you can training that kid to lift? So that when the day comes that he has to lift that, he actually can. This is the same way. We lose focus. We become selfish. We become something other than what Jesus is trying to accomplish. We're going to find ourselves down the road where we're saying, oh my goodness, where did that 12 years go? All of a sudden, your kid's been taught by the culture. It's been taught by the teachers in the classroom. It's been taught by the internet, by Facebook, by Twitter. It's been taught by everything everywhere. But the one place that they wasn't taught was where? And I get it. I had four. I get it. 
I know what it takes to get four kids ready for church every time that you've got to go. I know what it's like when you have mass chaos with clothes because you've got to find clothes for all four of them. And if they're mixed genders, you're just in bigger trouble because now your boy's liable to go to church wearing something that belongs to a girl and your girl's liable to go to church wearing something belonging to a boy. I know how hectic it is. But don't you, have you ever thought about the fact that that was Satan's plan all along? Keep them hectic. Keep them busy. Keep them moving. Keep them thinking. Keep them doing everything they're doing except the one thing that is going to give the greatest return in a child's future. It's Satan, folks. He's convinced us that going to church once a week's enough. He's convinced us that fellowship with believers once a week is enough. He's convinced us that our kids can be taught by us alone. What does it take? A village. Because I can tell you, and Diana will admit this to you too, I'm keeping you guys super weight. Hope you're okay. I'll, I'll, deduct, I'll deduct it later. Actually, we are deducting it later. I'll tell you how we're deducting it later. Because I'm actually doing the five to six. We're not going to do the six to seven tonight. So I'm going to take my six to seven now. No, I'm teasing, I'm teasing you. <laughs> I'll close with this. Why did Paul say, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. I hope this doesn't come as shock to you. Okay? But when I stand up and preach and we do Bible studies and we do Sunday school classes, you guys do realize that we're actually trying to teach something. Right? And the encouragement that anybody, and this doesn't just happen for pastors or apostles, also happens to Sunday school teachers. I mean, I've told you about the Sunday school teachers that impacted my life hugely. Miss Rosie, with the kids she's teaching, I mean, if if these kids stick around and they stick around, these kids turn 25, 30 years old. If Miss Rosie spent the time and energy to teach them that she should have spent the time and energy that she does te- <laughs> spend the time and energy teaching them, what are these kids going to think about their Sunday school teacher? I kid you not, folks. Joan Love. You've heard me say the name before. She was a Sunday school teacher of mine when I was about nine years old. You could ask me about any of my Sunday school teachers. My mother-in-law was my Sunday school teacher. I couldn't remember it. Miss Joan Love, though? I remember that woman. She taught me. And she taught me probably more as a child than anybody else ever did. So it's not just pastors and apostles. Miss Rosie's hoping that the kids go over there learning something. They're actually going to leave the classroom and apply it to their lives. And Doug's Sunday school class is the same thing. Doug's hoping that he's in there teaching something that people are actually thinking these are literal words with a literal application. We're going to take them and apply them to their lives, right? That's why we do what we do, because it's producing what God is looking to produce through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Our motivations have to be kept square, because if they're not kept square we see fallout. Whether it's immediate fallout or it's fallout 20 years down the road, you see fallout. So we try to prevent the fallout. In other words, I just stood up here almost and gave you a prophetic word. 
Don't get your kids in church as much as you can possibly get them in church, and you increase the chances of them getting into bigger trouble. I'm not saying that they will get in bigger trouble. I'm saying you're increasing the chances of getting in bigger trouble. Now, if there's any truth to that statement at all, does anybody here believe that there is any truth to that statement? So what do we do in order to prevent the derailing at the end of the cutoff railroad track? And I'm not asking you to give me the answer to the solution to those things. The solutions, there's a thousand, a thousand scenarios I could throw out to you. The solutions are exactly the same. It doesn't only pertain to kids. It pertains to everyone. Be honest. If you come to church three days a week, how many times do you open your Bible? Three? So if you want to go to church one day a week, how many times do you open your Bible? I mean, honestly, how many of you would take the time to sit down, open your Bible, read it, and study it if you weren't going to church? That's accountability in and of itself. Amen? People think, oh, they just want to see big numbers, full churches. I want to see a full church. You know why? Because the Bible says that we're supposed to encourage one another as the day continues to draw near. And every one of you have an encourager. Well, some of you don't have an encourager because they didn't come today. And what's the matter? What happens if your encourager doesn't come on Sunday night and your encourager doesn't come on Wednesday night? What happens if your encourager doesn't ever realize that they're an encourager? The scenarios are a million. It all whittles down to this. Don't be a grumbler. Don't get caught up in it. Carry the light and let God do what it is that he's going to do. And then accept it. Here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Uh, if he tugs on your heartstrings, you'll know what that means. Uh, you can come down here and see me. If you're on Facebook Messenger or wherever, you can message me. I will take whatever time is necessary to make sure that you clearly know of the one who has the power to save you. If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I've just seen a ton of things that churches struggling and churches going through things and highlands not and i'm praising god for that and hoping that it doesn't work out your salvation in fear and trembling know that everything that you do has has it has a, a consequence everything you do or don't do has a consequence and for us to be mindful as this as individuals to be open to it to be willing to say as individuals yep i've not been in the game i have been on the bench I've not been careful about the way that I'm saying things. I've not been careful about the way that my attitude is being stressed towards other people. If that's where you're at and the Lord's the one who shows that, that to you, please don't push him back. I can ask no more than for you to just be obedient to him and what he may say to you. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Barron. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.